Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Sunday service. It's good to see you. Um, you know, I just want to do a quick reminder. We are, our, our theme for 2021 for TLC is it's beyond the wall, a year of restoration, right? Beyond the wall, a year of restoration. And we came, we came up with this theory as leaders because one of the th- things we saw going on in our lives in 2020 was we saw, we saw a lot of uh, divisive things that really kind of ripped the Christian community apart, or at least created a wedge between relationships in Christian communities. Right? And so what we wanted to do was that in 2021 was to bring us back to the foundation of why we do what we do, the heart of what we believe in, and ultimately the question is, you know, restoring these relationships back to the way they're meant to be. There should not be this kind of brokenness that's going on within the Christian community, right? And so today we're starting a new series that's really based off of that as well. The, the series is called The Line That Unites Us, right? The Line That Unites Us. And the series was designed to address some of these um, divisive issues. Somehow, uh, last year, although the Christian community, there are groups within the Christian community who actually believe the same thing, who doctrinally hold on to the same values, they are divided over issues related to our culture, right? Issues like sexual orientation, issues like abortion, justice, and these issues became center stage in the political conversation of 2020, right? And what's sad about this was that the church community, you know what they did? You know, you know what we did? I mean, at least what I saw, at least online, was that the church community ended up canceling each other. People within the community ended up canceling other people in the community. And you, and you know this by seeing posts like um, people online would be like, you know, if you disagree with this post, right, or you, if you don't agree with this, whether you are a believer or not believer, straight or not straight, just unfriend me. Right? Just unfriend me, is what they said. Right? Coming sometimes from a Christian person. And you're like, wow, why would I unfriend you? I like you. Right? But there's something about these issues that created this wedge and this division. And the implication is, if you disagree with me, we can't stay friends. I'll have to cancel you. Right? It's a huge culture that's been um, brought up in our community. So the line that unites us is a series that is meant to be to remind us that there's a thread throughout Scripture. You know, the, the church fathers once said, there's a scarlet thread that runs throughout the Scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament. And that scarlet thread is this picture of Jesus Christ all throughout it, right? The line that unites us is meant to be a series that binds us all together and tells us that all of this, that we are bonded together in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if He is that thread that unites us, is it possible that you and I can disagree and sharply disagree over things and yet continue to have a loving relationship with one another? Is it possible that you can disagree with someone else and yet still have a loving relationship with them? And the answer is yes. My hope for this series is that at the end of this series, no matter how, where you stand in whatever spectrum you, you, you uh, hail from, that you, because of Jesus Christ, are able to have a conversation with someone, sharply agree or disagree with them, and yet still maintain deep, intimate relationship with them. That's the idea, right? And, the, and believe it or not, the scripture gives us a huge resource for this. So, if you are following me along, 
the next few series is very instructional. The next few messages will be very instructional. I'm here to try to teach you what this looks like. To be able to disagree sharply and yet have the resource to love in the midst of that without having to divide relationship, without having to split relationship, without having to cancel friendships over this, right? And where are we going to learn this first thing? The first talk today is about that. Can we disagree and still stay loving with each other? The answer is yes. And we get this from the book of the letter to the church in Corinth by Paul. And they were going through a very similar situation where the church was divided over an issue. And over the issue was meat offered to idols. And it seems very obsolete when we're talking about meat offered to idols. But the principle behind this issue, check this out. The principle behind this issue has transformative applications for us today. And the power of the Word of God is that it is, it is timeless and it's able to transcend all generation. And the principle we're going to learn today is going to help you and I converse, talk, and not fight to a point where we will cancel and divide our relationship from one another. Okay? Um, let me give you a quick run through. So in the church of Corinth, what you have is you have a group of believers, okay, who said this. They said, if that meat is offered to an idol, if that meat was offered to a god, right, we will not participate or even eat it, right? Because if we participate and eat it, we'll be defiled by that act of eating this meat. The best thing to do is to isolate ourselves, to withdraw from culture, to not deal with the, the things, and you can call this group, quote-unquote, the conservative group, right? They're the more conservative of their thoughts. Now, on the other hand, in the same church, you have a group of people, of believers, who said, of course you can eat the food, right? Why? As long as your heart is not worshiping these gods, eat the food, right? You have so much freedom in Christ. Why would you limit yourself? Why would you be so legalistic about your faith? And you can call this group the more liberal group, okay? Now, the conservative group accuses the liberal one of compromise and giving into the spirit of the age. They believe that this group wasn't being holy. And on the other side, the liberal group saw the, saw the conservative group as legalistic and pointed to their Christian freedom in Christ, said, we have freedom. Don't be legalistic. Both sides saw the other as being unfaithful to the Lord, right? Sounds familiar? You know why? Because it's reality. What they faced back then is what we face today. We have left and right, both accusing each other of being legalistic or being too free, right? How do we do this? At the end of this message, my hope for you is this, very simple that you, wherever you stand, can disagree and yet still love. Is it possible? The answer is yes, okay? We're going to learn three things. First, we're going to learn the worship principle. Second, the freedom principle. Third, the love principle. If you get this, okay? Check this out, church. If you understand this, you'll be able to go through a relationship with somebody Argue with them, disagree with them sharply, and yet still love them completely. The worship principle, the freedom principle, the love principle. And the way we're going to learn this is through 1 Corinthians chapter 8 all the way to chapter 10. So I'm going to be bouncing back and forth. So, you know, please uh, bear in mind with uh, our, our tech guy in the back. He's going to have to just figure out what verse I'm telling him to put up, okay? So he's just going to roll with the dices. So first thing, the worship principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 all the way to 22. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14 to 22. Let me read this for you guys. Okay? The worship principle. 
Check this out. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Don't have anything to do with it. Get away from it. Don't worship other gods. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving from which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Meaning, we only have one God here. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Anything else is not part of that. Verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Do not, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Do I mean then at, at a, that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And if you read this, what, you see, what you're seeing is this background picture. In the Roman culture, every town, every group of people had their own gods that they worshipped. They had a very specific god that they, they participated in. And lots of people in Corinth, they belonged to this thing called a guild, right? If you play video games, you understand this idea of a guild, right? You like the blacksmith guild, the carpentry guild, the butcher guild. It's just a group. It's like the union of today, okay? It's like the you, you basically, you, the, the, you the, the guild was your family. You did birthdays together. You did weddings together. They back you up when you were old. They, they help you. Uh, they're your part of your retirement plan when you, when you, when you finish working. They're there in, in your personal life, in your social life. They are there to train. You train together. You discuss life together. The guild is pretty much your family. Now, each of these guilds worship a different god. So every time they gather together as a guild and as a union, they will give tribute to a god. Apollos, Athena, whatever, right? Um, they will give tribute to that god of that guild, right? And they would have animals sacrificed and prepared as a tribute to those deities, okay? So imagine that. You gather together as a guild, and the first thing you do is, we're going to give tribute, we're going to sacrifice this animal, let's come together and let's give worship to this god as we eat this food, okay? So if you become a Christian, guess, guess, guess what happens? You had a lot of problems and hurdles to jump through. Christians are forbidden, as Paul said, what? To honor idols in any way. Paul says, flee from idolatry. Flee from the worship of other things. Flee from bending your knees and worship and bowing and giving reverence to anything else but God. You cannot eat at two tables, both God's table and the table to these other lower, lesser demonic gods, right? You can't do that. And the thing on top of that is that in the age of there's no refrigeration, what happens? The food that you was once offered to idols, next day was put on the market, and you have to eat that food, right? So if you buy that food, some people say that's idolatry. Now, here's what happens here, okay? So Paul is speaking into this context, and he's saying, some Christians believe they needed to withdraw from this whole thing altogether. You know what? This is just too much for me. I can't deal with this. I need to just get away, withdraw from society, withdraw from these gatherings, kind of do my own Christian clique and get away from everybody else. Leave everyone aside, the conservative group, right? Even the food in the shops were connected to idol worship. Don't eat from that. Don't even buy that. Don't even look at that, they would say. And in the same group, in the same church, in the same body, you have Christians that said, you know what? This is not a problem. This is no real problem here with participating in idol feasts as long as your heart was right. And so what happened? 
we get a divide. There was a division within the church. And though I think in our 21st century, in our church, we don't say things out loud to each other, and we don't disagree with each other because we're kind of cordial with that, but I'm pretty sure that even within our church, there is many different thoughts about certain situations. And instead of actually combining together and uniting under the, under the line that unites us, which is Jesus Christ, we find ourselves secretly bitter and kind of mm, with each other, right? And so what does Paul's words say here in, in, the, in the chapter we just read? Paul straight out flatly says to the liberal side, the side that says, you know, as long as your heart's not worshiping God, you're good to go. Paul says to them, Christians, he insists that Christians um, cannot and should not be present when a sacrifice is made to a god. Right? Paul's saying, do not be a part of that worship service. Do not be a part of that service where you're giving tribute to this god. There are many details around, and if a Christian, Paul's saying, would get in there and start you know, performing and being a part of that service, then everyone else around them who don't believe in God would think that Yahweh, the one true God, is just one God and many other gods. And Paul says, we are never to make anyone believe that Yahweh is one of many. Yahweh is the only one. He is the most high. There is none like him. He is the one true God, right? And so the worship principle tells us this. According to Paul, to, partic to participate in public ceremony that bears witness to the reality of an idol was to basically tell and give the mind to everyone around them that it's okay. That it's okay that to worship, uh, that, that God was one among many other gods. That the God that you worship, your Christian God, is just one among all the other gods that we have. Paul says, we shall not do that. That's the worship principle, right? What does that mean for us today? Check this out, okay? Hang in there, okay? Remember, the umph comes after the explanation, so just hang in for the umph. Right when you engage in today's culture, when we are a part of the culture around us today, when you decide to stand and fight for a cause that seems prevalent to our social media, prevalent to what's, what's loudest out there right now, right? When you go out and begin to protest, you have to consider what you're doing. You have to ask the question, by what you are doing, are you promoting the gods of that society, of our society? Is it the gods of sex, money, power, self-determination? You have to wonder, am I going out here and participating? Though our worship service does not look like it's you know, singing and dancing, your worship service out there could be a lot of different things. The worship to sex is the service in the bedroom. The worship to money is a service in the business world. The worship to self-determination is out there doing your own thing, right? Have you bowed your knee physically or metaphorically to this? The worship principle that Paul lays down flatly is this. You shall bow your knees to nobody. It reminds me of a story uh, when I was in, um, right when I finished college, actually, um, there was a trip to North Korea that was given to a lot of the, uh, the, the, the people once or were in, in, in the ministry I was in, uh, KCCC, right? And the, the staff who led it kind of started sharing his story of what he happened to him when he went to North Korea. Yes, he went to North Korea because he just wanted to do that, right? He went to North Korea, and he went there to kind of see if there's an open gateway that we can come in and be a part of reaching out to North Koreans by love, by teaching, just, just hope, having a way to have an open dialogue. So he did a trip to go out there and see with a bunch of members from, in college in that team. 
And one of the things that happened while he was there, there's a lot of different stories, but one of the stories that happened was they came to him and his group and said, hey, tomorrow we want to take you to the, to the burial area of Kim Il-sung, which is the grandfather of the current dictator in North Korea, Kim Jong-un right now, right? Kim Il-sung was the original uh, patriarch of that party in North Korea. And we ha- they have his burial place. It's shrouded. It's wonderful. It's like, it's, it's like this whole entire like, coliseum. And they said, would you like to go see? And the staff's like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, that's pretty cool. And they gave him, but here's the instructions if you go. Once you get in, first you will go through this kind of like, you know, those flatulators when you kind of stand and they kind of take you in, right? As you go in there, they're going to shoot you a bunch of air. Like the, from the Indiana Jones ride, you get the, you know, the puff of air. They're going to shoot you all of that so that all the dust from your body is taken away. And then as you finish, you're going to go into this room, this big old like dome-like room. And what you're going to see is you're going to see a line that goes towards the, 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 the coffin, the, the clear glass coffin of Kim Il-sung. And the light kind of shines down like this holy aura down there. They were giving him the instructions. And your job is when you get there to the line, wherever it is, you have to bow three times. One at his feet, walk over once at his body, and walk over once at his head. And then you can exit. That is the procedure that you must go through if to see the body of Kim Il-sung. And so the staff, my staff, he was pretty gangster, and he said, um, I'm not bowing. Uh, we'll, we'll go see him, but I'm not going to bow. And the, the, the tour guy was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand me. You have to bow. They will kill me and you if you don't bow. They said, then we won't go see it. Right? And then he said, no, 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 you don't get it. You have to go see it. That's part of my job. I have to take you there. Then I won't bow. Right? I'll go, but I won't bow. And the tour guy said, okay, just think about it tonight. You know, think about it. Talk to your group. This is not a joke. This is real. Right? He says, okay. So that night, him and his staff or his group is, and this thing is, for him, you know, he's die for Jesus kind of guy, right? He's just, his mentality was that. And he started talking to, and he, and he was kind of more worried about the college kids. And he was like, look, guys, we're not bowing. Right? We don't bow to any other God but God himself. We do not bend our knees to anybody but God himself. Right? Because when they bowed to the, the, the coffin of Kim Il-sung, it was a worship of him because they saw him almost like a deity. And the staff said, we're not bowing. And that night, they all came to a conclusion. They prayed about it. They were crying out to the Lord, like, what do we do? What if we die? You know, like, he, and he was thinking, Lord, in, in his mind, he was saying, I brought all these kids here to die. Lord, forgive me, right? That's what the, I was like, but they chose to come. So, Lord, you know, if we die tomorrow, then... May you receive our spirit. That's, that's literally what they prayed for, right? Next day, they came. Two of his guys came and said, have you thought about it? He said, yeah. So we're good to go. He said, look, we'll go see the body if you want us to, but we're not going to bow. And the guy was like, this guy's crazy. He's not, he's not serious. He can't be serious. So they took him to the, to the things. They said, okay, yeah, ha, ha. Took him to the area, street. They went to the flat later, air pumps, walks through, right? And together, they got to the, you know, the coffin, and he just kind of looked, and they all looked and looked, and then all of a sudden, you hear the surrounding areas, the, the dome, right, at, at the corner. They didn't realize because it was all dark, and the only light was on that coffin. Were all guards just standing there, just in case anyone touched the coffin wrong or did something wrong, and all you heard was chick, 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 
right? Everyone just loaded their gun and they started screaming things in Korean. And everyone was like, put your hands up. And they were like all on their knees with hands up. And they grabbed these guys and they pulled them out. And, and, and at that moment, everyone thought, these guys are dead. <laughs> and he thought, well, this is when we go. This is how I'm going to go. I leave back. I leave to the Lord, my wife and two kids, you know. It's over. And as they were screaming and yelling, that, that, and the tourists like, don't yell at them. Don't forgive them. They're a bunch of Americans. They're idiots. You know, like, you know how these Americans are, right? And, and so they were yelling, and then the, the guard was like, and, and, and I mean, the tourists like, if you, if you kill them, we're going to have a bigger problem, okay? Don't. And, you know, the, the guy, and the, this, the guard, the army guy was like, you know, why didn't they bow? It's a very simple instruction. And, you know, our staff said, we only bow to God. No one else. Sorry. Right? And, you know, they, they, they had a huge fuss, a huge stuff, so the tourist guy was just kind of like arguing, like, please, please. Eventually, the guard says, I don't ever want to see them here again. Get rid of them, right? And they got on the boat and they left. Right? It's pretty intense. I, like, I don't know what I would do in that situation, honestly. I'd be like, oh, I'm bow, not bow. I don't know, right? But the mentality of the staff was this the worship principle. We bow to no one but God Himself. We bend our knees to nobody. We pay tribute to no other God, no other one, but God himself. And the gods of our age could be sex, it could be power, it could be whatever it is that you fill in the blank, that you make your value and height, but we bow to no one but Yahweh himself. That's the worship principle. And so Paul was very clearly rebuking the liberal group who said, yeah, go ahead, bow, it's all right. As long as you don't feel it, as long as you're not thinking about it, you're fine. Paul was clearly rebuking them, right? But here comes the second principle, the freedom principle, okay? The freedom principle. Chapter 8, verse 4 to 8. Chapter 8, verses 4 to 8. This is what Paul says here. And this is his rebuke of the conservative group, right? Check this out. Chapter 8, verses 4 to 8. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols... We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is, there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are thousands or many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience was weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat it, and we are no better if we are no worse if we do not eat it, and we are no better if we do. Right? Paul is saying, an idol, a figurine made of clay, of gold, of rocks, of stone. This thing has no power, guys. Look at this. That statue right there, no power. It's just made of clay. There's not an idol at all. There's, the only thing that people are afraid of is because demons and sin, they use created things and they inhabit created things to defile and mess with you. But that thing alone, that idol, that statue, that figurine that you bow to, it's nothing, Right? It has no power over you. And since the figurines are not God's, the food itself, it has no supernatural power to separate you or pollute you 
from God. You get me? Their big, the conservative people's biggest fear was if I was to participate in eating this food, right, then I am um, defiling myself. And Paul's saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. Right? If you think like that, you're just like the Pharisees who got mad at Jesus for doing what? Eating with sinners. Because the Pharisees thought the, the tax collectors, the sinners, they would defile people. You should not even touch them or get close to them or hang out with them. You are just like the Pharisees. And he calls these conservatives in the church weak of conscience because they have not let the gospel free their heart. They don't realize the freedom that they have. This thing does not do anything to you. You will not be separated from God if you touch of the food, and you will not be defiled. It does not pollute you one way or the other, right? And Paul gives this illustration at dinner. Look at uh, chapter 10, verse 27, 28. He gives this amazing illustration that proves his point here in the freedom principle. He says this, chapter 10, verses 27, 28. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you, okay? Even though you know that that food that's put before you is probably dedicated to an idol yesterday, okay? Eat and do not raise any questions of conscience, but... If anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, and so let's give us tribute to Apollos or give tribute to our God, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience' sake. And what Paul is saying is these private dinners, they're really important. They're like the, they're, they're like the social gatherings of how you advance in that structure of that culture. If you were to be a part of this dinner and you don't actually participate or eat in it, you may actually set yourself backwards here, right? And what Paul is saying here is, um, if, it's put, if it's placed before you, even if you know that it was, it was offered to an idol yesterday, eat it. Eat it without fear of the conscience before you because the gospel gives us freedom. As long as, what? The host is not explicitly asking people to join in their tribute to that God. If he's not asking, eat it, enjoy it. You have the freedom to do so, Right? So that's the freedom principle. You guys get me so far? We have the worship principle and we have the freedom principle. And what Paul is saying in the freedom principle is this. Culture does not have the ability to separate you from God. Right? For all those people who are very conservative, who are very fearful that if I was to participate in the cultural narrative, somehow I'm defiling my Christian walk. Somehow I am dishonoring God. Somehow I am not giving... Um, Credence to who God is. And Paul is saying, the culture does not have the ability to separate you from God just by contact with it. Paul says that Christians who feel that way, what you're exhibiting is a weak conscience. It's not a bad thing. It just means that the gospel of freedom has not fully grasped your heart. You have not fully come to the realization of it. Right? You act as if a Pharisee who hated Jesus for eating with sinners, who defiling himself by eating with tax collectors. But those who grasp the implication of the gospel, those who recognize the freedom that the gospel brings, have enormous freedom to participate in culture. You have the, if you understand that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ frees you, you have an ability to exercise your life in the culture around you to be a part of what's happening, to be a part of the dialogue, to be part of the narrative. Right? You have the freedom for that. So here we have, on one hand, we have the worship principle. 
Do not worship any other God because there is only one God. But on the other hand, you have the freedom principle, right, that says, hey, these aren't even real. Feel free to participate in the culture. These two principles gives us an ability and a wonderful nuance to address difficulties that we see in our culture. For example, it's like, like, like we see here in the, in the dinner example that Paul gave. In this dinner example, he says, don't eat if the host is actually asking everyone to raise a cup to Apollos, Athena, Hephaestus, whoever, right? Don't eat if he's doing that. Because why? Because once you raise that cup, you are giving worship to that God, right? And as a Christian, there is only one God. and We do not give tribute either by solidarity of hands, either by cup of wine, either by bowing our knees. We do not give tribute to any God but the one true God. But then Paul says what? Do eat if there's no explicit idol tribute, even if you know that the food was dedicated to a God earlier. What does this mean for us today? It means this. Don't get on your knees and raise a tribute to the name of the cause. But do go out and participate to fight for the good that the cause brings awareness to. See, when we think about worship, we think, we think about the church setting of worship. But do you realize that when you, when, you, when you bow your knees in whatever solidarity, whether you realize it or not, you give worship to whatever spirit is dictating that language that year, that, at that time. Something that, that, that kind of confused me the most last year was that I have seen people bow to a cause, and yet I've never seen them bow to God in worship. That confused me. But the Bible tells us what? Don't bow your knee. Don't bend it. Ever, right? To raise tribute to a cause, to the name of the cause. But, but, do go out. Participate in the culture that's fighting for the good that they're asking for. Go out there. Be a part of it. Okay? And this right there is the great balance that Paul asks us to have. The worship principle and the freedom principle. We are to hold these two principles very, very clear in our walk. Okay? But here's also an extra problem. He knows that what? People are very fickle, and there's so many different um, situations and so many different ways of dealing with these problems, and there's so many different nuances, and individual situations always comes up. And there will always be situations that people will respond to these principles differently, right? Principles like the situations like Christian smoking weed. You're like, what? Right? Is that even possible, right? If you talk to our old deacons, you'll, you'll, you'll see what they think about it, right? Secondly, Christians drinking. Worship principle, freedom principle, how do we balance that? Another thing, getting tattoos. Mmm. Across the board. I once told our, 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 our VM, I mean, I once told our, our head pastor, hey, you know what? You know what would unite us? Let's just take pictures of all the EM members with tattoos and have the VM go find who they are, right? And they were like, no, don't do that. You will all be kicked out of this church. I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, good to know, right? There are issues that people respond very differently. Worship principle and freedom principle. 
issues like back in the days, rock and roll, drums. You know, Danny, Danny was going off on the drums today, you know? 40 years ago, that drum is devil's music, and you put that drum in the settings, you're worshiping the devil here. Worship principle, freedom principle, different nuances. You guys follow me, right? And so Paul knew that even though these principles creates a great balance for the Christian life, he adds a third principle that helps deal with the, uh, the, the differences of opinion, right, of these cases. The third principle is the love principle, okay? So we got the worship principle, we got the freedom principle, but Paul knew that people are very different in the way they approach things. We're not binary like that, right? We're very unique in the way we approach things, and therefore, he offers the third principle out there. It's the love principle. And the love principle can be played out in three applications. I'm going to show you a visual about it a little bit later, but I mean, let me go through the three applications of the love principle. First, go to chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Let me share that with you. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. The love principle. The first application of the love principle is this. Do not exercise your cultural freedom if it harms other believers in any way. You guys hear that? Do not, though you have the freedom to do it, do not do it if it harms believers in any way. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Check this out. Now about food sacrificed to idols. This is the cultural freedom here, eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Paul is saying any debate about the cultural climate of our day must be done with Love and humility. It's not about that you know you're free. I know I'm free. Great, I'm glad, but you're not approaching it with love and humility. You're approaching it with a condescending attitude. Just because you know you have the freedom to do it, it doesn't give you the right to push that down someone else who's not ready to hear it. And you go to verse 7 to 9. Let me read that for you guys real fast. 7 to 9, chapter 8, verse 7 to 9, it says this. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still not accustomed to idols, that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Right after he tells the more conservative group, right? Your conscience is grounded, is not grounded by the gospel. Your conscience is weak because you're so afraid of defiling, being defiled by something that has no power over you, right? He turns around and he talks to the liberal group and he says, but you, you have to be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to those of your brothers who are weak. Just because you have the right to do it, doesn't mean that you should and ought to do it. In other words, eating meat offered to idols, biblically permissible. You can do it. But if it leads a formal idol worshiper to draw back to that lifestyle, what do you do? You give up your right. Right? Because in your head you're thinking to yourself, come on, man, let's get it together. We're fine. We're free. It takes a while for the truth of God's word that's understood in the head and proclaimed in the mouth 
to actually reach the heart. It takes a while for that truth, even though they know it's permissible. You're allowed to. Nothing's stopping you. But if by doing so causes your brother or your sister, your brethren, to have a weak conscience and feel defiled by it, it hasn't reached their heart. So what do you do? You give up your right because you know it hasn't reached their heart yet. Right? Therefore, you shouldn't press people to do something that they may not have the spiritual maturity to do yet. Right? The theologically strong and mature should not scorn the conservative group or look down on them. Right? They should do what? They should lay aside their rights and do everything they can out of love to maintain the relationship with their brothers and sisters who differ from them. But what can you do while that happens? You help educate their conscience. You talk to them about it slowly. You give them time to develop an understanding for it. But in the midst of taking your time to develop their conscience, you don't make it so that you will lead their conscience astray. So the first principle of the love principle, the first application is, do not exercise your freedom if it harms a fellow believer. But here's a second application to the uh, love principle. Do not exercise your cultural freedom if it has a bad effect on non-believers. Go, go to chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. This is what it says. Chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. The second application to the love principle is this. Do not exercise your freedom if it has a bad effect on non-believers. This is what Paul says. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I have become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. Paul is saying, I will not exercise my freedom if it makes it harder to love and reach my Jewish brothers and sisters. See, he came from a Jewish background, Paul, right? So Jewish background had a lot of dietary laws. Don't eat this, don't eat that, no shellfish, no crawfish, none of that stuff, right? But Paul said, I'm free from that. Jesus Christ had set me free. I am able to approach God without those laws anymore because Jesus Christ has died for me. I don't need that. But the problem is what? If he exercised that freedom in front of a Jewish brother, they would be very led astray by that. They're like, you're a Jewish guy and you would do this? How could you? And so what does Paul do? He lays down his right. Though I have the freedom not to, 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 uh, to not do it, to be free from it, I choose still what? For the love of my brother to do what's comfortable for them. For the love of my brother, I, I choose to give up my right so that they can feel comfortable with me, right? He is free, but he is willing and gladly able to give up his right out of love to help those around him find their way. This takes time. Stage by stage, day by day, hour by hour, you give up your right slowly. You don't force. You don't push but you slowly give up your right and you walk them through it. 
so you can win them. Are you willing to give up your rights for those to meet Christ? You have a lot of rights. In Jesus Christ, you have a lot of freedom. Are you willing to give it up so that someone will know Christ? The love principle tells us, first, do not exercise your culture freedom if it harms other believers, but also do not exercise your culture freedom if it has a bad effect on non-believers. But here's the third thing. Do not exercise your freedom if it turns out that an allowed practice ends up having a bad effect on your own spiritual growth. Look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Okay? Chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. This is what Paul says. Don't exercise your love principle. Right? Or the love principle is don't exercise your freedom if it actually harms your spiritual growth. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and the rock was Christ. This is Paul telling a story about uh, God leading Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt and what they did. Nevertheless, verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan reverie. This is when at Mount, um, at Mount Sinai, they ate, they drank, and they got up, and they started worshiping a cow, right? We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So what Paul is saying for this third principle is very simple, okay? Focus, okay? This is instructional. If you ever ask me what's going on, how do I deal with this, this is it. The third principle, the third way, the, the love principle, the third way to apply is do not exercise your freedom if it has a bad effect on your own spiritual growth. Let me show you this, um, this, 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 uh, this, this slide right here, okay? So very simple, Christian decision-making, okay? If you ever have to wonder, like, what do I do? Very, very simple. The first question you have to ask is very does the Bible allow it? If the Bible says no, don't do it. Very easy. The Bible is the final word of God. If the Bible says no, you don't do it. But if the Bible says, go ahead, it's permissible, you have to ask the second question, which is what? Does my conscience allow it? Right? Does my conscience allow it? So, for example, let's say, I'll give you a really, really radical example so that way you guys can understand what I'm saying. Having a beer in church sanctuary. Whoa, right? Ooh, right? I mean, the church used to gather and they used to have in these festivals a lot of hard liquor. That was something that was done, right? So if I said, hey, the Bible permits it, how does your conscience feel? You're thinking like, no, bro, like, I don't know. Like, I know we're pretty, like, liberal here, but, like, I think that's straight up sin. If you feel that way, then you do what? Don't drink the liquor in the sanctuary. That's it. Very simple. You guys get me? Right? Because your conscience still feels what? It's still seared by it. You know that's, that, that, that feels something like it's wrong. 
right? This, this is still a holy and sacred place. I can't allow that to happen. You guys get me? Okay? But if your conscience allows it, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty cool with it. Does that mean I should walk in here with like a, with a 40 and like, hey, PT, hey, preach your message, and you just drink one back? Right? No. Because should I exercise my freedom? I have that freedom. Should I exercise it? Question is, one, will it have a bad effect on other believers? Yes, it will. If it does, don't do it, right? Will it have a bad effect on non-believers? Probably not. They'll be like, whoa, that's a pretty dope church, right? Thirdly, will it have a bad effect on my Christian growth? Hmm. If the answer, if so, then don't do it. But if yes, Shax on Christian freedom, go out and do it. If these issues, if these three principles, if three's application does not apply, then go, out, go ahead and exercise it. You guys follow? It's a very simple move. And Paul, Paul in this nuance is so good about this. He, he, he understood the worship principle. He understood that Christians within the church were all different. We're, all, we're a mosaic, guys. We're not black and white here. We're not binaries here. We, there's a mosaic of people with different temperaments and different ideas and different hearts and different passions, right? So he lays down these principles when there are differences among us. Worship principle, love principle, but lastly, but lastly there's also the love principle. No, worship principle, freedom principle, and lastly, there is the love principle. Okay? So, how do we apply this to our modern day? How do we apply this to what's happening in our culture today? How do we apply this to the next big thing that begins to hit our social media, that begins to have deferring opinions among brothers and sisters? You see, modern-day conversation is this. If you're a person on the left, you will say, I don't like what you're doing, and therefore I will cancel you and make your life a living nightmare. Okay? On the right will say, do what you want. But what if, well, if what I do offends you, that's a you problem, not me, right? That's the conversation you see on news, uh, 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 online on the news feeds all the time, left and right. But the Christian, the Christian, listen, this ought to be our hearts. I do think what you're doing is wrong, but I will bend over backwards to keep this relationship, even if it means that I have to give up some rights to do so. We are not a slave to left or right. See, let me, let me ex explain this. When you get into this habit of defining yourself as left, liberal, or right, conservative, Democrat, or Republican, what you're doing is, you, what you don't realize is that these two ideologies, right, they're set up, the best, the best case scenario for why they were set up that way was to help deal with the human moral values and issues. That the left sees the world in a certain way, and they want, they want to help that world with these thoughts. And the right sees the world in a certain way and want to help the world in this thought. And if you were to seal yourself to one or the other, you find yourself a slave to each ideology. But a Christian does what? Has complete freedom. Because at the same time, you can disagree. At the same time, you can disagree and yet still love. See, the right say, do what you want. But if you disagree with me, that's a you problem. That's me. I, I, I don't care. The left would say, I don't like what you're doing, therefore I will break all relationship with you. Christians say what? I sharply disagree with you, 
but I will not destroy this relationship. As a matter of fact, I will take this freedom that I have and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that this relationship stays as it is and grows. Okay? Three steps you can take when the Christian culture clashes. Okay? Three application steps. I know it's like, there's a lot of steps here, PT. I spent 2020 just in my room reading all these news feeds that you guys put up. Okay? Three steps. Okay? One, how do we deal with when the Christian culture clashes with each other? When the next big thing, social media hits in, the next big problem, it comes up and, we're the, and we find ourselves divided, right? What do we do? One, sympathetically enter into their beliefs and attitudes, meaning understand, truly understand where they're coming from. The first thing you got to do, if you're going to make this happen, you got to understand where you're coming from. And this is how you know you understand that you can regurgitate back their argument to such a degree where they said, you know what? I couldn't have said it better myself. That was really good. If you can propose the other side's argument to such a degree that they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I think, then you understand them. You get me? Then you understand what they're really standing for. But if you cannot do that, and you do that condescendingly, right? You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys believe in that, right? That means you have not for a moment entered into love and bearing with them. You step into it thinking that you're going to condescend them and that you're arrogantly above them. You guys get me? Right? Step into it. Before you even have a conversation, before you even argue, you have to be able to say their side better than them. And that's how you know. If you can say their side better than them, then you step into it. Secondly, refrain from criticizing and judging them. This does not mean that you can't be critical. You can't say that, you know, I disagree with you. you definitely be disagree. Definitely disagree. If you truly disagree, you got to sharply disagree, right? But it does mean um, that in your criticalness, you show the greatest amount of affection and respect for them. You know, it's funny when, when, when you hear people condescend each other and they talk each other like they're trying to outpower one another in a conversation. Isn't that the craziest thing? Right? See, you can disagree with someone and show the same amount of respect for their opinion as you are disagreeing with them. To show affection, to show humility, to show respect, that means what? That means you're not shaming them. You're not canceling them. You're not threatening them. You're not denouncing them. You're not mocking them. You're showing respect to them in the conversation. And lastly, okay, I mean, it's, it's like this. It's, it's, it's the way you know that you can do this, second part. The way you know that you can engage them without judging and criticizing them is that you are able to, okay, put your happiness into their happiness. If you can seek for your, like, the fact that if you are willing to make them happy, to make them not despondent by what you're saying, if you're able to seek for their happiness, you know, you do, you know you're engaging in um, the right conversation here. You're not criticizing, you're mocking, you're not canceling, you're seeking for their happiness, which means what? You're doing your best possible, right, to not please yourself, not to get what you want, but to make sure that they receive the joy and the pleasure and the love. Okay? And thirdly, do what love requires towards them. First thing is seek to what? Understand where they're coming from. Two, refrain from criticizing and judging them. And third, do what love requires of them. It means this. Love requires you tell them the truth. 
Love requires that you spend time, right, and you walk with them to get them to study much more thoughtfully biblical truth about this. Much of our culture and political climate happens when Christians are so deeply influenced by social media and newsfeed, which creates these echo chambers. The people are being basically one side or the other side. Love tells them the truth. Love leads them to a place where they are seeking Christian freedom, that you are able to be free from the left, be free from the right, and that you have a and if you're able to lead them towards that, lead them towards the truth of the word. See, if you guys were to read your Bibles, we would have so much more less stress than we have since last year. But what we have was we have a bunch of people not being driven by God's word, but we had a bunch of people being driven by the social media information, the news feed that you read, whatever side of the news you watch, you have all these people doing that, not listening to what your word, the word of God is telling you, you begin to find yourself being trapped on one side or the other. And instead of actually being free, you find yourself being a slave to that ideology. Ideology. Love seeks to bring them to the truth of what? Of God's truth. Seeks them to bring them to a place of God's truth. Right? How are we to do all this, PT? How are we to do this? How am I, as a believer, as a Christian, able to walk where they walk, sympathize with them, to not mock them or judge them, right? To lead them faithfully and beautifully into the truth of God's love and grace. How? How? Somebody said, Jesus, right? Jesus. The line that unites us, you and I, even if we come from different political ways of addressing things, the line that unites us is Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ going to the cross was basically a critique of you. You know that, right? He's basically saying, you're so lost that nothing less than the death of the Son of God will save you. That's a critique of who you are. You're so messed up, nothing can save you less than the Son of God himself. But in the midst of critiquing you, what does he do? He was giving up his rights coming into our condition, sympathizing with us, understanding who we are by stepping foot into humanity, does he judge us, mock us, and defame us? No. He loves us, builds us, and dies for us. And in his death, the Bible says what? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He walked us into the truth. He walked us into the love. He reminds us what? There is something far beyond the information and the truth that you have today. It is my truth. The truth that I have loved you since the beginning of time and I am going to die to bring you back home. Right? And if you build your identity on what Jesus did for you, you will become someone more than just a left-wing hack or right-wing hack. You will be someone much more than just a cancel culture or ignore you culture. You will be somebody who would say this, Jesus Christ sacrificed his freedom so we could accept, so, so that we could be accepted as we are. And that love enables us to grow and change. Therefore, we will try to love you the same way. Can you 
sharply disagree with someone and still maintain relationship? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. There is the worship principle. You got to keep that in mind. We bow to no one else but God. There is the freedom principle. You are free to do a lot of things, but then there is the love principle. And when you gather all these things together, you have to realize this, church. Jesus Christ was willing to bend over backwards to maintain relationships with you. So much, even though he did not deserve it, he was willing to take the hit, give up his rights, Philippians 2 says, to be with you. So in the same way, how could you not? How arrogant is it for a Christian then if you claim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? How arrogant as a Christian that you would cancel your brothers and sisters? How arrogant as a Christian that you would somehow defame, mock, and belittle your brothers and sisters just because you don't think they have common sense? How arrogant is it for you as a Christian to say that somehow, right, your freedom outranks their fears. How arrogant. The Bible does not leave room for arrogance. The Bible seeks to bind us all together through one line and one line only. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So church, my prayer is this. Please, whatever comes in the next year or so or next future years, let's not fight. Let's talk. Let's not cancel each other, but let's build each other up towards love and good deeds. Let's disagree with each other. Right? I had a uh, funny story. Let me end this. I had, the, I had a daddy's night out a couple of weeks ago, right? And, you know, our dads are all over the spectrum in terms of what they believe in, okay? They all believe in Jesus Christ. That's, that's 100% true. But we're all over the spectrum in terms of, like, you know, our ideologies. The funny thing, my wife was like, I swear, husband, if you do anything that separates all these guys apart from one another, you're dead. I said, wait, why is it me? I'm trying to like, you know, just eat barbecue and just have fun here. Why am I in trouble? She says, just saying, if you do anything that separates that, you're dead, right? Love must always be the principle that binds us, no matter how different we are from one another. You guys get me, right? Love is what binds us. We can disagree sharply on how things are run. But we do not break the unity of brotherhood and sisterhood for one another. Let's pray.